you found the Digging Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thanks so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our little podcast, please consider helping us out by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. All right, let's start off with a shameless plug for the Patreon page. Folks, doing this podcast takes time and money. So uh, we really need your help here, and therefore I humbly ask that you please consider becoming a patron of our show. If you think this podcast is worth five bucks a month to you, then and you don't want to have too many commercials on it over, you know, as you're listening, then go to patreon.com slash island and sign up to become a patron. Patrons get exclusive access to a live chat during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island. And that chat just is awesome. I didn't think I'd make it this week, but I actually did get there. Uh, so come and join us. Again, go to patreon.com slash Island to sign up, support the show. Remember, it's only five bucks a month. You can cancel any time. And uh, also, let me send a big thanks to our new patron, John. John, thank you so much. Welcome to the Oak Island family. It is great to have you. And also, if you prefer not to do the monthly thing, you just want to make a one-time donation. Uh, I don't really have anything set up for the podcast, but I'm a musician by trade. That's my job, um, other than this. Uh, and so I have a Venmo account that's sort of one of these you know, virtual tip jar things. So you could certainly use that. Go to at uh, Dave McBride Music through Venmo. And if you have any issues with that, just drop me an email, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. As always. We start today's podcast with emails and messages from you, the listeners. So let's get right to it and begin with the aforementioned new patron, John, who writes, I just found this podcast and haven't heard any other podcasts. I've always wondered for years how the men centuries ago could create the elaborate hiding places with nothing but shovels and picks. I assume, but with the most modern equipment in the world, they can't figure out how to find what was buried. One other thing, on this podcast, someone talked about salt water. I lived on brackish water, and I was thinking that's what's around the island. Just a thought. It's different salinity. Uh, thanks, John. Uh, first of all, just the, the end of that there, um, the waters surrounding the island are definitely not brackish. They are salt water. There are a few rivers that kind of dump into there, but nothing big enough, and certainly nothing so close to the island to make the island itself be surrounded by brackish. It is the open ocean, essentially, Um Again, there's some small rivers that jump into the bay there, but uh, it is not brackish water. It's not, you know, it, there, it is pure North Atlantic freezing cold salt water in Mahone Bay for sure. Um, the water that has historically flooded the money pit has also been almost almost exclusively salt as far as I know, certainly from all the reports. And often the water in the various shafts that gets flooded they, the water rises and lowers with the tides as well. So it would seem to indicate a direct connection between the water in these shafts and the surrounding waters. Um, there has been fresh and brackish water worked with throughout the, the island and in a few places, most notably the swamp. Um, but we have to keep in mind what the swamp is uh, and how and its history. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it is spring-fed and also, obviously, you know, doesn't drain on its own, so it's fed through the um, through the water coming in from the spring, but also <laughs> coming from the sky, the rain, right? But it is not naturally that way because the swamp itself um, was 
remarkably changed when the road was built there. Before that, the swamp water was more brackish than it is now because it was spring-fed and kind of a bog area that emptied out and was affected by the salt. And I believe it is still brackish to some degree. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but I think it is. Um, but again, that road built in the early part of the 20th century has changed the swamp so much. So it's, it's you know, it's that's something that a lot of people have to bear in mind when talking about this kind of stuff. Now, with regards to your first part of the question, how did they build this? All I will do for you, since you're a new listener, is uh, refer you to an interview I did on this podcast back all the way in October of 2019, one of my first few podcasts. It was with a Templar historian, a brilliant guy by the name of Tony McMahon. When I asked Tony if the Templars, middle-aged Templars, remember middle-ages guys here, were capable of building what is reportedly underground on Oak Island, his answer was, quote unquote, on their lunch break, honestly. (laughs) While what theorists think the depositors have done certainly seems to us like a Herculean task, when you look back at the engineering of Roman eras and even the Middle Ages, like we said, it's really not that impossible. It's crazy, for sure, (laughs) to, to think somebody would go through all that, but it's not an impossible task to do. Now, how could they do it, but these guys not find it? Well, then you're talking about taking a leap of faith into believing the idea of a booby trap system, right? Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that is what's caused it. Because honestly, over the years, until now, until the core drilling that's being done now, uh, and the sort of poking holes in all this stuff, almost all of it has been done by s- simply trying to dig a hole in the money pit. And that's always been um, flummoxed by the floodwaters coming in. Anyway. Hope that answers your question for you, John. Thank you for writing. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Hope to hear from you again soon. Keep those coming. Okay. Let's hear from another patron on the show. Here is Robert who says, I thought for sure that the over the Muon title meant that we would see some Muon imaging results this week. Dang. The Muon imaging seems to be a wild card still for the season. And I wasn't just sure that we would suddenly see confirmation of the borehole strategy with data already in their back pockets. As things are not always shown in order, I'm suspicious there is already some Muon data guiding the selection of the garden shaft for refurbishment. Even so, great episode this week. Take care all and happy holidays. Robert, a lot of people, a lot of listeners have agreed with you on that, have said to me and have said in other places that I've seen that they think this Muon imaging, that they actually have some sort of information and that's really what's bringing them towards the garden shaft as opposed to... um, you know, uh, Dr. Spooner's water analysis from the garden shaft, which I think is sort of the stated reason why they've sort of turned their attention to what is obviously an already explored searcher shaft. Um, I also agree that many with many people who think that the muon imaging results seems to be what is setting us up to be the cliffhanger for the end of this year. Right. Um, And that will keep us watching into next year because we might just start to get the results at the very end of the season. And then we can't dig until next season. So come back next year. It makes a lot of sense. Um, And it seems to be that's the, the direction they're pointing in. Now, we have a possible new cliffhanger that comes in this week that we'll discuss in the episode review. So who knows? Uh, And this one certainly seems to be uh, what is it kind of more of a surprise. Anyway, 
Think of the seismic results, right, when talking about this Muon thing that showed us a possible ship in the swamp, which, again, we talked about here. It turned out not to be a ship, uh, but we, again, we're going to talk about this in, in this episode. But remember how they did that at the end of the season. They all gathered after the season was over and they couldn't dig anymore, and they left us with this image that Maddie Blake was certain was a ship, and it left that for us to kind of stew over and talk about for the entire offseason. Now, I know it sounds cynical, but it's starting to feel like this is the kind of thing that we're heading towards for this season. Whether on purpose or not, I don't know, but that certainly seems that's the way the editors are taking it. Hopefully not. Hopefully we get to see some of this and we actually dig on some of these targets, but let's see how it all plays out. I mean, Robert, a lot of your fellow listeners have been speculating that the team, again, is in fact using some Muon information that, and that's been guiding them this year. There's no way to know that for sure. And it is just speculation. We don't really know that, but you're not alone in that feeling. So, uh, you know, don't think about it that way. Anyway, thank you for writing in. Happy New Year to you and everyone listening as well. Hope you all had a great New Year's and holiday season. I know we did here. Uh, had a lot of fun on New Year's Eve for sure. Let's go to an email now from Joe who writes, the producers should cut all of the reactions Gary and Jack have when they dig something up. Literally everything they uncover is part of a treasure chest or a deposit. It's long since gotten tired. They could pull up a dried dog turd and Gary would say, this looks like poop from a dog that would have been used to dig a hole to bury a treasure chest. And Jack would grin and mutter something in agreement. <laughs> Thanks for writing, Joe. Uh, your example is fantastic. Um, and again, you're not alone in this complaint. I agree with you, certainly to some degree. Uh, it is uh, one of the things about the show that is sort of getting a little tiresome for me is... Um, and I, and I, you know, I love the show. Let me start. I love the show. I even love it now. But the pulling up kind of mundane things, we get another one this episode and, uh, you know, doing everything you can to make it sound like the Templars might have used this or the Portuguese or whoever we're working on for this episode um, is getting a little tiresome. Let me say this as someone who prefers what I would call sort of the more serious side of the show, as opposed to the entertaining side of the show. I'm starting to agree with this idea more and more every season because it seems like we're getting more and more of this. But my complaint, really, when we get right down to it, isn't with Jack and Gary. I mean, these guys have found a lot of cool stuff over the years, so why not get excited in the moment, right? Sure, some of it looks a bit disingenuous and maybe a bit canned from time to time, but I think there still is a genuine level of excitement from these guys most of the time. My problem, and I say this all the time, is when they find something and they get all excited... And then we hear nothing definitive about what it actually is all about, what, what this thing really is. And this feels like it happens for 90% of the finds, right? We get a crusty artifact. We speculate about it. We get an expert who also essentially just speculates about it. And then we just kind of forget about it. Again, I keep saying this. We do this in this episode we're about to talk about. We do it again. An example of it is right here this week. It's the handling of the way this all is done that bothers me. I mean, for every lead cross and every bag seal, there's a lipstick cover, right? Or there's a supposed Roman pylum. For one great find, there's one or two or even more kind of finds that get disproven. And the way the editors decide not to really tell us all that is what's frustrating to me. I just wish they would handle the disappointments a little better and with a little more honesty, because I think in my mind that makes the real, the real achievements that much more important. 
And it would also add a genuine quality to the show that I think we're all craving, right? And that we all want. Uh, anyway, great stuff, Joe. Keep those emails coming in. Okay, let's go to Mark on the Patreon who made a comment. Uh, Sorry to be late to the party, but I'm just watching the episode tonight after listening to Dave's show yesterday. I had to laugh regarding the copper artifact. I went to graduate school for anthropology 40 years ago. The inside joke then was that whenever you have no idea what an object is, you characterize it as ceremonial or religious. (laughs) Looks like nothing has changed these many years later. Great stuff, Mark, for certain. The impression I got from that scene, despite the way it was presented, was that no one in that room really had any idea what they were looking at. So real confirmation comes if we look back in a few weeks and realize that, uh, you know, that what we've seen there and what we see this week was uh, the last we ever see of this artifact and we never actually get answers. Again, I'm spoiling a little bit of what's to come, but we go back to the same expert, go back to the same artifact. And we come out with sort of almost the same thing we got last last week, which is not much. Um, you know, and if that's the case, if we don't really find anything out, we can assume that they never found out what it is. Or if they did find out what it is, and this is the part that gets stuck in people's craw, uh, that they're not forthcoming with the fact that it wasn't anything interesting at all. Great stuff, Mark. Thank you for being a patron. Let's finish up with Katie, who writes, Hi, Dave. Katie from Leicester, England. Love your podcast. Been a listener for a few years now and find it a great follow-up to the show. Anyway, after watching episode six and the drilling program, especially with this new tunnel and not being able to drill within 10 feet of these new sonars at work, why do they not try to follow the tunnel to the entrance point in the opposite direction to the money pit? Surely there would be a massive section where the tunnel is intact. That is what it is and maybe dropped artifacts. Would love your and your listeners' opinion. Thanks, Katie. Katie, that is a good point. And and again, I'm going to do this again. Maybe I should have done the emails at the end of the show. Uh, We do kind of see a possibility why they might not do that in this show, which is perhaps the tunnel has collapsed at certain distances away from the garden shaft. Uh, But I agree with you. Why not follow it in the opposite direction and see how far it goes? I mean, where is this leading to? Right. Um, or at least until it becomes easier. Right. Do that at least until it becomes easier to follow it in the direction of the garden shaft. I guess the answer is because they're following the trail towards the gold in the garden shaft water. What they want to do is get closer to that source, which they think is somewhere over there. Uh, it's an interesting that throughout this whole process, uh, we're not taking water samples through these drill boreholes. I don't know if they are, but so far we haven't seen that. Maybe it is. Let's hope so. Um, you know, Katie, it, it doesn't make any sense, but, you know, the <laughs> the answer I'm giving you here, but it's the best I can do. You know, maybe maybe we just kind of want to follow it in that direction because that's the goal and the opposite direction. Maybe they don't maybe they have taken water samples and there isn't gold. There. I, I have no idea. They don't they're not good at that kind of stuff. Anyway, great question. Thank you for writing into the podcast. Um, keep those good questions coming. That's all for the emails this week. Remember, if you have any comments or questions, just email me, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. All right, it is time to discuss Season 10, Episode 7 of The Curse of Oak Island called Norsing Around. I guess we're just doing bad puns again this season. Anyway, I have to admit right up front here, that there isn't a whole lot to talk about in this episode, if I'm being honest. 
there was some great stuff for sure to watch, just not all that much to expand on here, really. So needless to say, it might be a bit shorter podcast, but I always say that and then I end up being the same length. So anyway, let's get into it. <clears throat> we only really have two locations on Oak Island to talk about, the Money Pit and Lot 8. But we did get sort of a little preview of what is perhaps to come with work in the swamp later this season. So let me just start there. Into the interpretive center strolls an old friend, a geoscientist named Jeremy Church, who was joined by another gentleman whose name I didn't write down here. I don't know why. Sorry about that. They're both apparently from a company called Panther Geoscience, as they uh, we know that because they both certainly did their due diligence for the marketing person who uh, wanted them to wear their Panther Geoscience swag on the air here. They certainly did that. Um, <laughs> Someone at the office was no doubt thrilled to see it. Mr. Church is very familiar to the Oak Island team and familiar to us uh, from his time working on the seismic data done a couple seasons back. And this is what we were talking about, right? That scene at the end of a season where we went to Traverse City, Michigan and um, saw these anomalies in the swamp, this ship-shaped anomaly. He's the guy who showed them this ship-shaped anomaly in the swamp. The one that I christened the SS Matty Blake because of how excited Matty was that this was certainly a ship. It turned out it wasn't. And before you ask, yes, they already dug on this target. No, they didn't find a ship. Uh, Claude on the Patreon put it the best during the t- discussion when he asked, why are we trying so hard to disprove something we proved already didn't exist? This is what really bothers me anymore. I don't have an answer for you, Claude. I mean, it doesn't make much sense to me either. But either way... New technology is always welcomed addition to search uh, to such a search, so I'm all for it. Maybe perhaps this new technology will allow us. <laughs> this is this is this is a man dreaming. Uh, will allow us to x out this this ship shape anomaly and decide that's not what this is and move on from that, and we don't have to hear about it anymore. Um, anyway, again, I think I'm just dreaming there. They're going to use a device called an EM31-8, which is a ground conductivity meter. No idea what it is. That's just what this is. I mean, I think from what I gather, it's essentially a high-tech metal detector. It can do a little bit more than that, but it can detect stuff down to 30 feet. Um, But again, we'll worry more about that later on down the road, as you'll see. The guys decide to begin work on the EM318 in the swamp. So Tony Sampson comes to the island. Uh, with an inflatable boat and his scuba gear to push these panther guys around the swamp in this boat so that they're getting this sort of grid pattern around the swamp. This can take some time to do this if that's what it takes just to get the swamp, right? Um, And the thing is, this is really all we can say about this right now. Uh, There's no results to discuss. In fact, I think Mr. Church even said that it's going to take several weeks before they can present any information. So we'll just have to be patient here with this one. And again, could be another candidate for that end of season cliffhanger. We have one more. So, so far we got the Muons, we got the EM31 8, and we have another one coming in just a second. Okay, so let's move on to lot eight, where Jack Begley and Gary Trayton have been spending a lot of time metal detecting recently. More on that in just a second. I'm going to have a, I'm going to throw out an opinion on that in just a second. Gary pulls out a piece of what he calls a claw hammer, and uh, of course, there is a ton of nodding and speculation about how it could have come from a ship or the Portuguese or whatever they say. I don't even know. As far as I can see, it's nothing but a small, rather common find that says little or nothing about the Oak Island mystery. I mean, it's on an area that isn't um, 
you know, that hasn't been inhabited, but I don't really think that means a lot since the places that were inhabited are only feet away. Um, that's exactly what one would expect to find really in this area of the world. Um, so I, I don't see much about it. These are, this is one of those things that frustrates people and has frustrated me a little bit. Now, before we take a break, uh, we aren't quite done yet with lot eight. Later, we head to the war room. And this is for another conference call with an archaeologist named Dr. Edwin Barnhart. Go back and listen to the last podcast if you want a little background on him. He is from an organization called the Maya Exploration Center. And he's looking at the unidentified artifact Gary and Jack found last week on Lot 8. This is the one with sort of the geometric designs on it. You know, uh, Dr. Barnhart has done some chemical analysis and he has determined that the item is in fact made of brass. This is followed by a seriously rough editing job that almost seemed like the editors were trying to make it seem like Dr. Barnhart thinks the item might be Portuguese in origin. <laughs> it's weird how, how that all played out. But soon he ends that speculation because he starts talking about it more likely or possibly, I shouldn't say more likely because that's putting words into his mouth, um, starts talking about it possibly being Norse in order to Viking in origin. Now, this is potentially pretty interesting for sure. A Viking presence on Nova Scotia has been a popular notion, especially among local folklorists and archaeologists, for decades and decades. Uh, if they can actually prove this item is uh, from the Vikings, then we have something here that can potentially extend you know, way beyond just a treasure. Now, having said all that, Steve over in the Patreon discussion had the following to say after this scene aired. He writes... I was, on an, I was in an Explorers Club meeting not long ago where the researchers did a presentation on the Viking habitation of Canada and pretty much proved that they were not widely distributed across the region. All right. First, Steve, you went to an Explorers Club meeting and without me? I mean, come on, man. Your favorite podcast host? You're truly a man of mystery, my friend, and that mystery seems to deepen with each passing conversation we have. Anyway... Seriously, tell us more about this meeting, because as you know, the idea of Vikings in Nova Scotia is an old and very popular tale around those parts, and looks like we might be discussing this a little bit more. Who knows? It's also something of a popular Oak Island origin story, or at least it has been, um, that's kind of diminished in popularity over the years, mostly for the reasons you're talking about here, Steve, which is that the evidence of Viking presence and that whole notion has its in itself in Nova Scotia diminished a little bit over the years and disputed more and more. But wouldn't it be cool if the Laginas can prove the Explorers Club wrong? Again, a man can dream. Now, Dr. Barnhart brings up the Vikings because of the fact that the item is brass and also probably because he doesn't say this, but I, I'm, I'm assuming because the markings on it certainly don't look, at least to my eyes, very modern at all. Um, like I said last week, the doctor is from an organization that researches Mayan culture and what they don't say on the show at all in either of these two scenes, but yet we can probably accurately glean from the fact that he's here is that Barnhart was called in because those markings look like they might be ancient and possibly Mayan or even some other indigenous culture. I don't know. But curiously, he doesn't seem to mention that the markings as the markings as part of the reason why he thinks it is a Viking artifact. And that would be my first question for him. And I don't know why that question wasn't asked unless the answer was, no, it really doesn't. Right. This all leads me to say just because something is brass and old 
does not mean it is made by the Vikings who traveled to Atlantic Canada. Again, this is a really cool find, but we need answers, not guesses, if we're going to prove the Explorers Club wrong and indeed theorize that Vikings came to Oak Island sometime centuries ago, and I guess hid something 100 feet underneath the ground here. But Barnhart ends the call by making a fantastic point and I think a little insight into what we can get out of this entire conversation. He says to the gentleman, to the fellowship, that, um, and it's something we all need to keep in mind as we move forward, he tells them he feels sorry for them, that the island has been quote-unquote churned up as much as it has over the years of digging and uh, and uh, in searching and all that kind of stuff, because that churning means it is virtually impossible to put these artifacts into any kind of context that one would need in order to do some true archaeology. Meaning that this might be one of many Viking artifacts, but since the island has been so torn up over the years, they may never find the rest, and they certainly might not find them in the place that they were left, which gives you that context that you need. That kind of leads me to believe that the that Dr. Barnhart here kind of ended the conversation by saying, but we'll never really know because we'll never really be able to get the kind of context we need to get a definitive answer. So that might be a very good insight into why um, we very often don't get the kind of answers we hope because it's a, that is a sobering truth and one that clouds each and every find, certainly over the recent history of the Oak Island treasure hunt. All right, let's finish up the episode over at the Money Pit. And it's actually where the episode began, and it begins with a very unexpected war room meeting with Rick Lagina and Craig Tester on a video call with Marty Lagina talking about the work that is currently being done to uh, refurbish or uh, reopen the garden shaft. It's a topic which has dominated the season so far. It seems that the company running the project, a company called Dumas Con Con Contracting, sorry, has run into some permitting issues with the government. Now, I have to say, the whole issue is not explained well here at all. The editors did a very bad job of chopping this up, and they kind of left us with the impression that the Nova Scotia government thinks Dumas is actually doing some kind of mining operation here rather than just a restoration project. What I can assure you, folks, Nova Scotia does not think there is a mining operation going on in Oak Island. They know exactly what is happening on Oak Island and are not at all confused about whether or not the Laginas are mining the island. So what is the problem really? Not sure we'll ever find out, but needless to say, the project is shut down and it's going to take some time to sort the paperwork out. Anyone who has refurbished their bathroom knows how that can go. <laughs> Imagine if you were trying to refurbish a hundred foot hole in the ground. So we'll need to have some patience and it would appear, fingers crossed, that this actually gets resolved in time for Dumas to finish the project this year. But if it doesn't, this could be yet another candidate for our end-of-season uh, cliffhanger, right? Okay, later we head back to the Money Pit for more of the core drilling project headed up by geologist Terry Matheson. They're drilling a hole labeled J15.25, and there is a nice graphic or two shown in the sequence that gives us a good look at the geography here and the placement of the borehole. 
They are trying to follow a tunnel, which the narration says leads to the garden shaft. But, uh, but we can see from the graphic here that it really doesn't exactly lead to the garden shaft, right? It kind of more like heads in that general direction than directly for it. It just me, me nitpicking, being a bit pedantic here with the phraseology. But anyway, the drill goes down to the depth where they expect to encounter the tunnel. That's 108 feet or so, if I'm not mistaken. And they find nothing, no wood or anything. So basically they missed it and need to try again in another location. And I have to say, the guys certainly seem genuinely surprised that they missed the tunnel here. Later, we see a new hole being dug called L15, which appears to be just north of the last hole. They get down to 109 feet. They find a small bit of wood, uh, which makes the guys think they essentially graze the tunnel rather than going straight through it. And I think Terry actually speculates in here that they might be seeing evidence that the tunnel has collapsed in this area and orders the drilling guys to continue drilling past this down to a depth of something like 150 feet, which seems to be sort of the standard operating procedure for these holes. Despite finding these tunnels at this 110 depth, uh, they keep going all the way down because that's kind of how they're finishing up here. So later, we go back to this same hole and we see the depth of 146 feet for this hole. Uh, and the drilling guys say that the quote unquote bottom dropped out of the drill, indicating a very large void down there in the hole. They decide to send a camera down to take a look. Weirdly, they don't look at the where the where the wood was to see if there was in fact a tunnel there, but be that as it may, um, they go all the way down and they take a look at what is essentially a lot of rocks. They're trying to show us something that looks strange or looks peculiar, looks like it could be man-made. There's talk of right angles. I kind of see a little bit of that, I guess. But honestly, there isn't much here. I don't see much to get me excited about any of this. Um, again, it just looks like rocks to me. There's no wood. There's no tools. There's no certain indication that anything man-made is down there in my mind. Just what looks like some collapsed rocks. I don't know if it's natural because I'm not, if it totally looks natural, but just to my eye, there's certainly nothing there that indicates digging, mining, that kind of thing. Um, they decide anyway that they're going to put the sonar down into that. But again, we're not going to see um, any information on that as the sonar will wait till next week. All right, so it does end up being kind of a shorter show. Anyway, that's going to do it for the this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. Don't forget, you can help out the show by becoming a patron. If you think this show is worth five bucks a month to you, head over to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. If you prefer, you can also make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo, excuse me, using the username at Dave McBride Music. Also, if you wish to help out the podcast in another way, then you could certainly do so by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Thanks to everyone who's done that. I really appreciate it. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. We are at Digging Oak Island. And if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, you can do so via email at diggingoakisland at gmail.com. Just keep in mind, if you do send me an email or a direct message on social media, I may just answer it here on the podcast. So if you don't want your message read to the world here, just make a note of that for me. Well, as Dave used to say, it's crown time. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for listening to Digging Oak Island.